Computer Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Vice President Carter Overstone, like to take roll. Commissioner Walker. Here. Commissioner Benedicto. Here. Commissioner Yanez. Here. Commissioner Byrne. Here. Commissioner Yi. Here. Vice President Carter Overstone, you have a quorum. Also with us tonight, we have Assistant Chief um, Denise Flaherty for the San Francisco Police Department and Acting Executive Director Sarah Hawkins for the Department of Police Accountability. Uh, line item one general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under police commission rules of order, during public comment, neither police nor DPA personnel or commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the secretary of the police commission at sfpd.commission at sfgov.org. Our written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you would like to make public comment, please approach the podium. Just some points from last meeting. This commission is misusing or misunderstanding the studies about policing and drug overdoses. Not to oversimplify, but the gist of the studies is that arrest causes a pause in the user's use, and that pause may affect the tolerance of the user, such that when the user is back out on the streets, their tolerance is now an unknown, and so for a variety of reasons, overdose could happen. For the record, interruption of use could also lead to a path of recovery, and it often does. Regardless, either one, overdose or recovery, are consequences for which the user bears full responsibility. This is not a policing issue. The studies themselves are careful to warn readers not to confuse causation and correlation with the fundamentals of this complex problem. I urge you all to review the concept of proximate cause, because some members of this commission erroneously believe that the SFPD is the proximate cause for every single ill that befalls drug users, dealers, and criminals. This commission's reliance on and treatment of non-definitive studies highlights a fundamental issue this commission has, an almost fanatical effort to shoehorn every issue through an anti-law enforcement lens. Everything that is discussed by this commission is trapped under the biased, myopic, anti-law enforcement perspective. And there are some on this commission who want to keep that point of view dominant and unchallenged, regardless of how inappropriate or unsubstantiated the data. Challenging you led Commissioner Carter Oberstone to state that there is a dangerous and unfortunate effort to use state public meeting laws to silence dissenting views on the commission. I urge this commission to educate itself on the First Amendment and for whom it affords protection. By definition, the public cannot silence you, the government. However, I will get silenced by this commission after two minutes. You have even taken steps to silence all potential remote commenters. All we're doing is exercising our right and responsibility to hold you accountable. And based on the way you misuse data and manipulate answers to your questions, I'm really glad we do. Good evening, commissioners. I am Naj Daniels. I'm a representative of SEIU 1021, and I represent the 911 dispatchers. I'm here to shed some light on what is, a very, uns what is very unsettling for me and my members. The Department of Police Accountability has been sending complaints 
from their office to the Department of Emergency Management with the intent for possible discipline of dispatchers. The issue we have with this as it now stands is the process does not afford my members or the union due process. As you are aware, the dispatchers are civilian staff and not privy to a 3303 hearing. It also seems like an exhaustion of city resources. We are hoping that you could look into this and provide all parties with clarity and a fair process for the civil servant employees this is affecting. Thank you. Um, Chair, can I ask? I just want to thank the 911 uh, dispatchers. I know how much stress you guys are on and all the calls that you, you get on a daily basis. So thank to our, um, I guess, 911 dispatchers and members. Uh, thank you for all the hard work. I relay you. the message. Thank you. Good evening, members of the Police Commission. I am a born and raised resident of San Francisco. Growing up in the Richmond District and residing in Glen Park since 1989, um, I'm aware of policing in other countries, particularly in Brazil, where I lived for five years, as well as in Mexico, where I've traveled extensively and for extended lengths of time. Policing in other countries is often very corrupt and violent with little oversight, mainly due to poor pay and bad training and private securities used by the wealthy. Here in San Francisco, fortunately, the situation is different, very different, at least for now. We have a good police force, if not woefully understaffed and underfunded. They're well-trained, conscientious, and strive to be better than ever. Nevertheless, there is a high level of anti-police bias in San Francisco. We watched it come to a fever pitch with the hysteria and mob violence in the summer of 2020, with ACAB and Abolish the Police graffitied all over the city center and beyond, and frenzied people making deranged demands. The city's elected leaders joined this mob mania by impulsively defunding the police to the tune of $120 million, a ruinous decision. I know you all know. But the anti-police bias continues today. It's unabated. On this commission, I witnessed thinly veiled hostility, some, yes, anti-police bias, among certain members during the meetings. And it was evident last week during agenda item number nine when the use of force report was discussed. The why of the disparity between black and white encounters was pressed. Yes, why? A good question. But is it solely the fault of the San Francisco Police Department? That was insinuated in the tone of some vocal members. So I stand here with due respect to say, humble yourselves. Contemplate that the why may very possibly lie outside the purview of the San Francisco Police and within the realm of the decivilization that's unfurling before us. There's a lot of bad education going on out there. Commissioner Walker's suggestion to review body cam footage is a good start. It may reveal a lot. Also, a Uh, yes, a bad education, that's for sure. It's going to look like a slight digression, but I need to finish what I told the Board of Supervisors yesterday, because it concerns you too. It is not allowed to mess with the skies anymore. It's not allowed. So we don't want to see any ugliness in the skies. The skies don't need artificial whatever. If you keep doing that, you're going to finish your life unhappy, ugly, and your descendants are going to pay for you expensively. This concerns every one of us here. 
Nobody wants to address this because this is very complicated to address, but we must face what's going on. Police, okay. I guess I'll just use the overhead again, as usual. Good evening. I come here every Wednesday concerning my son, Aubrey Abracasa, who was murdered August 14, 2006. To this day, his case is unsolved. I bring these names of the perpetrators that was there that had hand in murdering my child, Hannibal Thomas, Paris Moffitt, Andrew Fadu, Jason Thomas, Anthony Hunter, and Marcus uh, Carter, one of which is deceased. I'm not sure whether it's the first or the second one. I come here not just for my son, but for all unsolved homicides that are not solved today and seeing the faces of all these men, young men and babies that were murdered. Still cases aren't solved and the mothers are still suffering. Again, as a mother, I wouldn't have to want to stand over my sons or any of my children that I have left because of homicide or murder or gun violence or domestic violence, child abuse, anything. I would no one want to have to do this. I've been coming here for years and, and still no justice. This is what the perpetrators left me with, a lifeless body of my child decaying. And this is what I have to remember for the rest of my life. And I keep saying, grief never ends because my love for my son will never die. So I'm asking for justice that maybe some kind of way that we can, as, as family, that we can get some justice for our children, some kind of closure. And with that, I thank you for hearing me. If anyone has any information regarding the murder of Aubrey Abacasa, you can call the anonymous 24-7 tip line at 415-575-4444. Good evening, commissioners. Alan Burradell. Um, I want to uh, uh, express my sympathies for this prior speaker's com uh, uh, comments here um, and to uh, express my support for the first speaker who showed up here tonight. And I stand with that speaker uh, in all the points that she made. Thank you. Commissioners, that is the end of public comment. Line item two, consent calendar, receive and file, action, SFPD's third quarter 2023 audit of electronic communication devices for bias, SFPD's firearm discharge review board and in-custody death review board quarter three 2023, 2023 department award certification, SFPD's, four, SFPD's and DPA's SB 1421 and SB 16-month report. Motion to receive and file. Second. Any member of the public like to make public comment regarding line item two? Please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? 
Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez is excused. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item three, Chief's report, discussion, weekly crime trends and public safety concerns, providing an overview of offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety, including a brief overview of a staffing and resources for the upcoming APEC leaders meeting 12, 11, 12 through 11, 17, 2023. Commission discussion on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Chief Scott. Thank you, Sergeant Youngblood. Uh, good, good evening. Vice President Carter Overstone, Commission and Acting Executive Director Hawkins and the public. Um, get a little I'll start uh, the report off with just an overall quick overview of crime trends. We are down in total uh, part one crime 7%, which is about 3,200 fewer crimes than this time last year. Uh, violent crimes are up 3% and property crimes are down 8%. The 3% uh, in increase in violent crimes is a total of 128 more crimes than this time last year, and the majority of that reduction are the reduction in property crimes for the year. As to violent crime, there are 49 homicides year-to-date. That is a 9% increase over the 45 we had this time last year. Our overall homicide clearance rate is 72%. However, that will go up because we just made two arrests in the last few days uh, over the weekend of two separate homicides that occurred in October of this year. So the homicide rate, uh, once those are counted, will be uh, 76%. There was one homicide for this week, and I'll talk about that in a second. As far as shootings, the overall reduction is 6% uh, for the year compared to 2022. That's 175 victims and 148 incidents of, of gun violence. So that is lower by 6% than this time last year. As I mentioned, there was a homicide uh, during this past week and that one occurred on 10-30-23 at 7-18 p.m. in the 300 block of Leavenworth in the Tenderloin. The victim was transported to the hospital for a gunshot wound. The witness said that the victim was walking on the sidewalk when he heard a loud sound that he thought to be a firework. The witness said that the victim screamed in pain, fell to the ground, and succumbed to their injuries at the hospital. Uh, no arrest has been made at this time. That investigation is ongoing. There was another shooting on 10-31-23. That was Halloween night at 9-10 p.m. at 15th and Shotwell. The subject and the victim were involved in a road rage incident where the subject used the vehicle to strike the victim in the victim's vehicle. The uh, physical altercation happened from there and the subject shot the victim in the lower extremities. No arrest at this time and that case is also still under investigation. Um, another significant incident of note, there was a home invasion with, uh, that resulted in a possible traumatic brain injury to the victim. This happened on the 200 block of Santos in the Ingleside district on November 2nd at 3.03 a.m. Three unknown subjects announced themselves as police officers then kicked in the door of the home, the front door. Hearing the commotion, residents locked their bedroom door and hid inside. The subjects then kicked down the bedroom door and demanded gold chains. The subjects pistol whipped, kicked and punched the victim. The victim lost consciousness and suffered an 11 inch laceration to their head. The subject also stole gold jewelry, cash and two vehicles from the residents. Driving the stolen vehicles, the unknown subjects fled 
uh, and have not been captured at this time. So that case is still under investigation. Uh, last thing of note, there was a uh, stunt driving event that occurred at California and Divisadero uh, over the weekend. There were about 50 vehicles in a caravan. Officers arrived uh, and dispersed a group and they dispersed in different directions. Officers were able to monitor a small group of about five cars which traveled westbound in California and the group eventually dispersed towards downtown and south of Market. No arrests have been made at this time. But I would like to remind uh, the public that we continue those investigations, uh, even though some people believe they got away with it. If we can identify the car and have the um, probable cause to see that, seize that car, that's exactly what we will do, and we have done that on numerous occasions. Um, as for the, the APEC conference, just to give an update, um, that will be starting this coming weekend. And I know the commission was interested in um, the staffing and deployment for APEC. So just an overview, um, we have several, several hundred law enforcement officers from outside agencies, actually more than that, responding to San Francisco Cisco to assist us with security. The CHP will send the largest group of officers. The California Highway Patrol will have a presence at both bridges and at various venues or APEC venues throughout the city. They will have a role in site security, dignitary escorts, as well as uh, they will be available to assist if needed for any type of civil disobedience that may occur that's beyond the capabilities of the San Francisco Police Department. Several other uh, Bay Area law enforcement agencies will also assist in our escort of um, dignitaries around the city during APEC. Those agencies include San Mateo County Sheriff's, Brisbane Police Department, Belmont Police Department, Daly City Police Department, Foster City Police Department, Menlo Park Police Department, San Mateo Police Department, and South San Francisco. Um, all these are small departments, but they did send uh, what they could, small numbers of officers, but their help was very, very much appreciated. Uh, San Jose State Police Department is also sending officers um, to help with some of our fixed posts in the site venues, as well as the Fairfield Police Department. So in total, uh, that's around 50 additional officers. And as far as the San Francisco Police Department, uh, every able-bodied officer will be working as the department will mobilize during this next week. And what that means for APEC, approximately uh, just under 600 officers over the week will be assigned to APEC in various uh, capacities. The rest of the officers will be basically working in the field, working patrol, our, our stations will be staffed, so we don't expect any interruption in service in terms of responding to uh, emergency calls for service. As a matter of fact, because we're mobilized, each district station will have probably more deployment than they have on a typical night because we do have to plan for contingencies. As to contingencies, in the event that um, unexpected things happen or um, the events go beyond what the scheduled deployment can handle, we have contacted the California Department of Emergency, uh, Office of Emergency Services. Uh, in the event that we need mutual aid, we will, we will request mutual aid. And Alameda County is the regional, for this region anyway, mutual aid coordinator, so we're, have been in contact with them just drawing up contingency plans. The plan is for the San Francisco Police Department to handle any um, protests that happen as a if they happen as a result of APEC 
if it, go, if it goes beyond our capabilities and we have the California Highway Patrol and if we have to trigger uh, mutual aid, we will do so. And that is really the high level snapshot of, of APEC for next week. Uh, we expect um, people, the dignitaries and their, and their staffs to start, some of them I think are already starting to fly into town, but this weekend will probably be when most people fly into town or come to town and they will be here for approximately a week. And that concludes this week's uh, report. Thank you, Chief, for the report. Uh, Commissioner Walker. Thank you so much for the report. Um, I know that there's going to be disruption to um, traffic and um, public transit and all of that. And I just, I wanted to um, let people know if they have, if they need information about what's going to be happening over the course of the next week, they can go to um, sf.gov backslash APEC, APEC 2023, and you can get um, information. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's really uh, important if anybody has information, needs anything, um, they can either go there to find out information about what the disruptions might be or who to contact. And if there's issues on the street, 311 or in, a, in an emergency, 911. So. Thank you, Commissioner, for that. And that's a great point. So any, also, any updates um, that will happen will be on those websites as well. So for great. the public, in terms of the, there are security zones, for instance, around Moscone, basically from Market down to Harrison, from 2nd Street to 5th Street. That is a secured area. But people who live inside that area, um, can go about their their business. There will be vehicle vehicle traffic restrictions there. There will be checkpoints, uh, even for people who who live in the area. And then the Moscone zone will be a hard closure. If you look at the maps, you'll see where the hard closures are, and only credentialed uh, people ha can go in that zone. And there are checkpoints as far as security checks or inspections for those zones as well. And all the venues basically will operate like that. They will be open for local traffic. Uh, there will be minimal businesses, as far as what we know, that uh, will be impacted as far as you know, not operating. Um, but in these zones, the businesses and restaurants will be open for business. So if you live in that area, you, you, can, you can frequent those uh, establishments. You can shop for your groceries and whatever else you need. Great, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Yee. Hey, thank you very much there, Vice President Carter Lewiston. Uh, thank you, um, Commissioner Walkers, for that information on where to get an update on the APEX. Uh, I want to thank the chief and the members and all the, I guess, the public uh, first responders and uh, contingencies that has been set in place. I hope, uh, wish um, you success in this event. I know it's, uh, uh, they'll probably have additional for uh, somewhere, somewhere from 20 to uh, 40,000 people here in the state, in the city. So hope we do well and uh, wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Chief, last week when we discussed APEC, um, you mentioned in, that there were a number of local law enforcement agencies that would be assisting us with the event. And I think today you listed roughly half a dozen um, and you mentioned that you that the the department entered 
memorandums of understanding with each of those local departments. Is that, do I have that right? Yes. Okay. And um, is it your understanding that any of those memorandums of understanding uh, impacts a DGO that's currently on the books? Um, if you're talking about the DGO 3.01, those memorandums of understanding basically are um, all operational memorandums uh, and they lay out whether or not the city will reimburse, which we're not, and they're very simple MO MOUs. So basically these, uh, these departments that have um, offered to help us, we had to lay out what the parameters were, where the, whether or not there would be reimbursement, those type of things. So it's a very fluid um, situation. Um, but other than the operational components of them coming in to help, I don't believe those rise to that level. So then they don't cover operational issues. It's mostly about reimbursement. They cover what these departments will be. Some of them cover what these departments. For instance, the, the, the motorcycle officers. Uh, they're going to participate in dignitary, dignitary, dignitary escorts. And they, we, we are not reimbursing them for their services. They're doing that out of the goodness of their heart. So mainly those, that's the purpose of the, M, the MOU. Um, but again, these are, are very fluid uh, documents in terms of some of these um, organizations just recently committed this week in terms of these MOUs. So we needed to get the work done and get the commitments and so we can set our deployment. I remember I was speaking with an officer, maybe as close to a year ago, and I can't remember his name, but he mentioned that there were sometimes issues with doing these types of dignitary escorts with other agencies that had different policies and used different tactics. Do you, do you see that as, as an issue or area of concern? No, I don't. Um, one of the things that, that we have done um, for, for many years, particularly with the Highway Patrol, the way we deploy for when, uh, say, the president or vice president, both agencies take a, le take a piece of that. And so that has been the practice for as long as anybody can remember. Um, so it's not uncommon. Usually, usually, at least in the city of San Francisco, that's how um, the dignitary protections go. This is a little different because we have so many dignitaries at one time. So. Um, these officers, once they did, once their departments indicated that they would be or may be joining this, they have trained and debriefed and all that stuff, but we, um, we don't think that that's going to be an issue. And because, as you said at the outset, each of these outside agencies um, have sent us a relatively small number of officers each, these convoys or escorts will comprise both SFPD and outside law enforcement in the, in the same escort. Is that some, right? Some of them. Will. So, some of them. Some right. Of them, yes. And so in those instances, does the outside agency follow SFPD policy and tactics? Um, just cause I imagine every agency does th th these things a little bit differently. Yeah, no, they, they follow their own tactics as far as policies. If you like, for instance, use of force or those type of things, the agencies, follow their own tactics, policies, their training. Uh, in terms of the escorts themselves, I mean, there's some, some things are just basic in terms of escorts that are universal. Um, 
however, it is important that there is communications, there is some training in terms of what roles each person on that, on that motorcade escort has. And so that's where the communication and then the training comes in place. But they will follow their own policies, their own tactics, and that's pretty standard when you're working with outside agencies, as it would be when we go to any place where mutual aid is requested. We have to follow our own policies. And is, are any of these roles, responsibilities, or tactics set forth in the MOUs that we have with these outside agencies? Uh, no, no specific tactics. I don't know if there's language in there off the top of my head uh, with the, um, what I just said as far as officers follow their own policies, but that is standard pretty much. You don't expect officers to come to another town and then all of a sudden learn different policies, different tactics, and you know they, they follow their own because their agency still has a responsibility to hold them accountable for following their policies. Great, and just last question for me. You've referenced mutual aid tonight and also last week. Would you just mind explaining for members of the public what that is and also how it might figure into our APAC plan? Yes, thank you for that. So mutual aid, um, there is regional mutual aid across the state of California and there's different zones. So the zone that we're in, the Northern California zone, basically are the nine county Bay areas uh, Northern California counties, uh, I think it goes actually up to Humboldt, I believe. And when, in the event that anybody in this, in this mutual aid zone requests mutual aid, the Alameda County sheriffs are the regional mutual aid coordinators. So the process is that request is made through Alameda County sheriffs and then they marshal the resources of whatever is requested and they coordinate that mutual aid request. Um, a good example of when this typically happens, like the North Bay fires, um, they, those cities needed officers, they needed firefighters. Uh, but speaking for police, we participated in mutual aid several times uh, since I've been here in assisting those cities. In 2020, when the civil unrest really swept the nation after the George Floyd murder, San Francisco requested mutual aid. I think it was uh, late May. And we did receive, I think, about 200 officers or so from across the state. So it's fairly rare for us to request, being that we're the biggest city in the, in the um, biggest police department in the area. But it's not totally uncommon. And the, the trigger for mutual aid, if it's beyond the resources that a city can handle. Extraordinary incidents, uh, civil unrest, wildfires that go beyond the resources, those types of things. Typically, you do not request or get mutual aid for pre-planned events, but there are some nuances depending on what information you have. If you can predict that it's going to go beyond the norm, uh, it's a wise idea to start having that conversation. So we, we are at least setting up for contingencies based on some of what's out there in open source about First Amendment activity. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, but we need to prepare for it as if everything that we see is going to happen. Great. Thanks, Chief. That's everything for me. Uh, Commissioner Byrne. Uh, thank you, uh, Vice President uh, Carter Overstone. Uh, Chief, when um, the outside departments come, unlike the CHP coming into the, into the Tenderloin, is there like a coordination? Will there be like a particular captain or something of 
SFPD to coordinate, or, or do these people just answer to their own, uh, the way the CHP is doing now in the Tenderloin? They're not coordinating per se with San Francisco police, whereas with this um, APEC thing, it, it would seem to me um, that there needs to be some coordination with the SFPD as to deployment and as to how, how it's all going to operate. There, there, there is uh, coordination. I mean, this is a, this is a really, really large scale event, so that is really important coordination. I, I didn't say this, but I'll let me back up a second because of the security designation, the national special security designation for this event. The U.S. Secret Service actually is the lead agency on security, so uh, there is coordination at the federal level. But in terms of uh, what we're talking about, the SFPD will be the coordinator of anything local uh, protest, First Amendment, any, and anything that, that spins from that is our department will be coordinating that piece of it. So there is coordination, a lot of logistical coordination to make sure that everybody is you know, communicating and talking. So that's a big part of our, hopefully, what will be a good outcome. So will there be patrols of out-of-city police cars in different areas of San Francisco? No. All the all of the officers that are coming are working the APEC um, venues and, and mainly the like the motorcycle offices for escort dignitary escorts. Right, but and, other other than those escorts, will it, I I assume from what you described there'll be other officers in San Francisco. Yeah, uh, the officers will be working venues. So all the venues, the the oh, four okay, venues all have fixed post assignments because they're secured. Um, and like the Moscone venue is a pretty large perimeter. So there are going to be fixed post assignments with uniform officers at the checkpoints uh, throughout the venue. So that's what these officers, most of these officers, if not all, uh, will be doing. And so the normal patrols will be as it was before APEC? Yes, as far as SFPD outside of APEC. Right, and then the CHP will still be Roman, South American, and the Tenderloin. Correct, correct. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Sergeant, could we go to public comment, please? Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item three, the chief's report, please approach the podium. Okay, great. Okay, above, way, I think way beyond or above these uh, technicalities, technicalities, you say, right? You keep the perspective, actually, like if you were a bird, so you see, uh-uh. Remember, it's going to be a good occasion to uh, own yourself and pass the word, by the way. Own yourself, you know, pass the word. Big time. The perspective from above is to not uh, forget that this gathering for APEC, all these guys promote war, all of them. So basically, they promote in one way or another. But nobody talks about peace. Peace is what the people want, all of us, with a few exceptions. So it's good to remember this, at least, I think. Okay, sorry, I'm again the guy who is talking about, look, okay, keep the perspective, look, because it's so, wow, it's amazing. It takes a little bit to, uh, to move back and say, yeah, that's exactly it. What can we do? Okay, wait, step by step. Bye. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk about the last time I was here, I was talking about the uh, the um, digital posters at 
all the district stations. Um, I went by a couple of them and they were up. But then when I went back the next day, they were down. So why are we having this if they can't consistently be up there? They, the, it's supposed to be on 24-7. How are we going to get our cases solved if these, if these digital uh, televisions in the district station don't stay on 24-7? I know in a couple of them they're on 24-7. Um, I know that you're trying to do some operations because of the, uh, getting them fixed. But I would like to, when I go to these stations, that to see that they're up. You know, again, there's taxpayers' money that has been spent for these things to be put up and, and help uh, spearhead getting them up, too. Because I'm tired of climbing up on poles and pasting pictures up of the homicide of my child. You know, I'm getting too old for that. You know, so if we have a venue, and the only venue is at the district stations right now, how come they can't consistently keep these televisions on so that maybe someone might walk in there and solve our children's cases, especially mine? Um, I take my pictures in there and ask them, can they put it up on their bulletin board or something via the television? But these digital things need to stay on consistently. Why do we have them? Why do I have to wait for somebody to go in there and snap, get the, the remote control and snap it on well, while I wait? Because then I don't want to leave. And I say, can I wait until you cut it on? You know, we need to keep these things up there consistently. Thank you. Um, hi, Commissioners. Uh, Alan Burrodell. And uh, Chief, I just wanted to respond to uh, the discussion of potential upcoming disturbances. Um, there, there will be disturbances. Um, I've been reading about them. I will read right now from a posting that I saw in a newsletter from the DSA. Uh, that's the Democratic Socialist of America. Uh, they are holding an online course to educate folks, and uh, the topics include the following. Uh, this night school will provide an overview of APEC, what it is, who it is, and what it does to widen economic inequality and push the planet closer to climate catastrophe every day, and what the uh, No to APEC Coalition is planning to do in response. You are invited to learn about this uh, uh, event and join in the acts of resistance. And this is happening on Sunday. Uh, and again, this is the Democratic Socialist of America. We have several sitting commissioners in San Francisco and a sitting supervisor. Uh, that's Kristen Evans, Jackie Fielder, Dean Preston. You may see them down there. Uh, it's on Sunday, and it's to shut down the APEC mass mobilization is what it's called. Join the DSA contingent at Embarcadero Center at noon. Look for details and a link to the signal chat and the who uh, in the channel on their Slack. So it's a well-organized effort to disturb this important event. And unfortunately, you're going to have to deal with that, it looks like, thanks to some of our sitting commissioners and supervisors who might participate. Thank you.
commissioners, that is the end of public comment. Uh, just for members of the public, line item six has been pulled from tonight's agenda. Line item four, DPA director's report, discussion, report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Director Hawkins. Good evening, commissioners, Chief Scott, members of the public. I will start with a couple of stats that I really want to focus on. Um, at this time last year, we had opened 201 cases, and at this time this year, we have 689 cases opened. That's quite a big increase, and it represents at least two full-time investigators. We are having the same staffing and budget issues that other departments are having, and it is starting to kind of take a toll on our staff, so I just want to highlight that. On the bright side, um, even with that increased caseload, at this time last year we had 23 cases past the 270 day mark, and this year we only have 22, of which 18 are told. So we continue to meet our deadlines and work diligently. Um, we currently have 317 cases pending, and at this time last year we had 245 cases pending. So an increase in all of our opened and pending cases. So I'm sure. We will kind of keep talking about that as we go through our next budget phase. Um, we currently have eight cases pending with the commission, 88 cases pending with the chief. In the past week, we received 19 new cases. The out, again, as a reminder, these are just new cases with allegations, but the breakdown of the allegations is 17% conduct unbecoming an officer, which represent complaints for officers behaving or speaking inappropriately or displaying a threatening or intimidating behavior. 12% for neglect of duty, which includes failure to investigate or take required action, and 12% use of force. Um, we don't have anything to report on this week with regard to audit, but we do look forward to providing the full um, misconduct audit um, in a future uh, commission meeting, hopefully in early January. and. Um, I just learned recently that our YouTube channel has been relaunched. I don't have the direct information right now, but I will make sure that that is available at the next commission report. Um, present today is Senior Investigator Chris Chisnell, who is available for any questions that the public or commissioners might have. Thank you. Thank you for that report. Uh, seeing no names in the queue, Sergeant, could you take us to public comment, please? For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item four, the DPA director's report, please approach the podium. I actually just have a question, and I, I know that generally when you tend to ask questions, they don't get answered, which is, I know you don't have to answer the questions, but is there a way for the public to find out how many of the reports that have been um, initiated were initiated by the DPA itself? Are you even allowed to do that? I can answer process questions. I feel comfortable doing that if I can ask the city attorney if that's okay. Okay, I'm just wondering how we can figure out how many were actually in, uh, are from the actual public and how many are from coming like within the DPA itself. I'll ask the city attorney if it's okay for me to answer the process question. Uh, it's best if you can talk to her one-on-one -on -one and also report back when we put it on the agenda. That sounds good, and I'm happy to, you can actually also speak to Senior Investigator Chris Chisnell, and if he's unable to answer your questions, I'll be available okay. after the meeting. But there's nothing on the website, like you can't just go on the website. Um, you Office can look at our annual reports. Okay. Um, I wanted, last time I was here, we talked about um, 
trying to get more investigators to solve the unsolved homicides. And then it was brought up uh, that we can get uh, DA Director Henderson to get some of their investigators to solve these unsolved homicides, um, to get some witnesses to come in, to come through, you know, to pay the witnesses, find other ways for other, that's other cities, for other cities to find out how they're doing to solve these unsolved homicides. So I'm still waiting for the agenda that next time that it's gonna be put on the agenda about ways to solve these unsolved homicides and get new uh, investigators to come in and solve these. And if it's gonna come from the, uh, the DPA directors to get them involved, because we have nothing, I have nothing. I've been coming here and asking ways to get these unsolved homicides um, solved. So if we can get other help from the um, D, um, DPA directors on, on you guys' um, investigators to come over and help solve these uh, homicides, that'll be a good thing. So I'm hoping next time I come here, something is being said about that, are finding other ways, the way other cities have done it also, so that we can pay witnesses to solve these, you know, just a little bit of money. Money talks. You know, um, this needs to happen. I, I, I get this from you. You bring this up to me, so I'm just bringing it back to you, what I've been told. I don't want to be pacified and saying, okay, Ms. Brown, we're gonna do this, Ms. Brown, we're gonna do that, and it doesn't happen. We all have to be accountable. You pledge to protect us. You pledge to. I'm just asking. Thank you. And that is the end of public comment. Line item five, commission reports, discussion and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, and commission announcements and scheduling of items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Just uh, one uh, announcement for the public, which is that we will not be having our normally scheduled meeting next week on November 15th. Um, it appears that there is not a, a quorum of commissioners who can attend the meeting, um, and it does fall in the middle of APEC. So just wanted to let folks know about that. Uh, Commissioner Yanez. Thank you. <clears throat> Vice President Carter Oberstone, uh, Chief. Quick report, I just, uh, I stepped out uh, to go to the juvenile probation commission hearing um, as they've asked me to provide an update about our work towards a pre-booking diversion program. Uh, I did that. They are introducing a resolution uh, endorsing and supporting, encouraging uh, the city to create and establish a pre-booking diversion program with the San Francisco Police Department. It seems like the resolution is going to pass. They will go on into a vote, uh, which I was not there for, but it seems like uh, they are overwhelmingly in support of uh, this direction that we're taking. 
In addition to that, uh, the Department of uh, Police Accountability uh, submitted their, their feedback into the community policing manual. Um, I expect to receive some of that information so that then I could look at uh, the updated draft and provide some of my feedback since that is one of the DGOs that's been assigned to me. I believe that there will be a presentation in January on the updated uh, community policing plans, which I believe were posted on the district websites or the district station websites on November 2nd. Correct, Chief? I, b I believe so, but I will verify that. Got it. Um, and then my last uh, update uh, is regarding DGO 7.01. We received some clarification about it is posted on our website and it is open for people to give input and feedback. DGO 7.01 is our juvenile um, policy for interfacing with young people. It will be open through the 13th of December for public comment, so please uh, log on to the website and provide your input into that DGO. Thank you, that's my report. Commissioner Benedicto. Uh, thank you, Mr. Vice President. Um, I'll start with the same DGO that Commissioner Yanya has just mentioned, so just reiterating that uh, DGO 7.01, which governs the department's policy with respect to juveniles, is currently in the public comment phase, so you can go to uh, the San Francisco Police Department website um, to review the draft and submit a comment, and all comments will get a response from the SFPD and uh, DPA. Uh, I do really wanna thank um, the various community stakeholders who put uh, well over a dozen hours of time um, earlier this spring and this summer to work on this DGO. Um, it's uh, a significant modernization and update to the DGO we already have, and, is, and some of the changes in it will hopefully lay the groundwork and be the first step in a process to a pre-arrest diversion program for, for juveniles. Uh, so I do encourage people to make that public comment, and we hope to have that before the commission sometime early next year. Um, and then second, um, yesterday, uh, along with Commissioner Walker, uh, attended the uh, what was dubbed the Solutions Conference, which was uh, organized by the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, the Chronicle, trying their hand at, at a think tank, uh, convened 10 working groups with various subject matter experts who worked for the last six months on 10 pilot program proposals for San Francisco. Uh, all topics including um, affordable housing, homelessness, uh, and public safety, and presented those 10 uh, pilot programs at that conference, and the 10 pilot programs will also be published by the Chronicle later this week. Uh, there were a lot of interesting ideas. It was a great cross-section of, um, of ideas and a good exchange, including a very interesting idea on public safety. Um, reached out to the authors of that uh, pilot program, which included community stakeholders, as well as a retired SFPD commander um, as that program looks a little bit more finalized to have them present a version of it to the commission early next year as well. Uh, thank you. Commissioner Byrne. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Um, I, I just wanted uh, uh, to make sure the public was aware that the meeting on December 6th is the award ceremony uh, that Commissioner Yee and uh, Chief Scott and myself uh, worked on so, as, so that the public is aware we're going to be not convening here, but convening at the ceremony. Is that? Uh... I think that's that's accurate. Um, uh, I guess I would just add that the commission staff also worked on it. Um, so shout out oh, to the commission may, staff may for, their, and, and, for uh, their hard work. Retired Sergeant Kilshaw, who's not here, but 
um, Sergeants uh, uh, Reynolds and Sergeant uh, Youngblood. And I'm sure uh, Christine over there had her hand in it too, although anyway, thank you for that, uh, Vice President. So that way the public knows that not to uh, yonder forth here on the 6th of December as we will be somewhere else. Yes, thank, thank you for that, Commissioner Burning. That'll be up on our website. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Walker. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I just want to mention a little uh, reiterating what uh, Commissioner Benedicto was talking about, the conference that was held yesterday. It was really um, very interesting to hear from the public and hear some ideas for solutions. So um, it, it really tied into what we're all discussing about alternatives um, on the front line of um, how to how to support the officers out there in fighting crime by finding other ways to avoid crime. And um, I really look forward to presenting those. Um, it really is in a lot in line with what we've all been discussing. So um, I really appreciate that. I've also had the opportunity, there was a couple of carjacking um, events that ended up right in my neighborhood. Um, I think one and a break in right across out my window. and. Um, we all participate in, in watching the training of officers and to see it in real life. If you haven't watched a, like a, a town hall, it's really informative to watch um, how we fight crime in the city. I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous situation and it's really, um, I, I just applaud the officers who respond. So thank you. Chief Scott. Thank you, Vice President Carter Overstone. I just wanted to uh, to address Commissioner Yanez's question about DGO 7.01. Uh, it was posted on October 27th, so the public has until December 13th, uh, which is the closing date. Thank you, Sergeant. Could we go to public comment, please? For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item five, the commission reports, please approach the podium. There is no public comment. Line item seven, public comment on all matters pertaining to item nine below closed session, including public comment on item eight. Vote whether to hold item nine in closed session. If you'd like to make public comment regarding closed session, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Line item eight. Vote on whether to hold item nine in closed session, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10, action. A motion to go into closed session for item nine. Second. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. We are going into closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Section 67.12A, action. Motion to not disclose, item nine. Second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 10, please approach the podium. Seeing none, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote on the motion? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. Line item 11, adjournment. Bravo.